Hello, you are listening to Perlustration, a podcast where we dive deep into cinematic universes. This episode, we are discussing the 2011 movie Captain America, The First Avenger, directed by Joe Johnston. This is the fifth film in the MCU, so spoiler warning for this movie and the previous four MCU films. We will try not to spoil any future movies or any future plot points. Lucas, what are your overall feelings about this film? Absolutely love it. It's a banger. I I rewatch this movie quite often just for fun. What's your favorite part of the movie? Like, say it's on old-fashioned cable, you know, this thing from the past, and you, <laughs> you flip, flip it channels. on. What? Right. Uh, what part do you want the film to be on? If you mm. can't choose the beginning. I'm thinking coming out of the chamber uh, when he he's like, or when he's in the chamber, Stark's got his hand on the dial. Crank it up. Turn it off. Turn it off. No, oh, I can take it. That part. That's so funny that you say that because to kind of refresh myself for the film, that's where I started it this morning. I actually started it right at the explosion there after he after mm. Steve becomes Captain America. About yeah. the 38-minute mark. When Thorin blows up the building. Right. I was totally mind-blown when I learned that that's the same the actor as <laughs> <says> Thorin Oakenshield. <laughs> oh, it's wild. I had one of those experiences this week with the Ted Lasso show. Mm-hmm. The same lady who owns the team on that show is the one who rings the bell in shame from Game of Thrones. Yep. Whew. Who also gets tortured at the end. That really threw me for a loop. What about you? Uh, what were? How did you like this film on a first watch or first or second watch? I enjoyed it more the second time. It was predictable, but in a fun way. And I'm always in for a period piece movie that was going to be my follow-up question i do also like the period pieces because i I like them for kind of even when they're not great like it's fun to notice things that are anachronistic and you know something that doesn't quite belong but then it's also fun to watch ones that are like really well done and, and super accurate totally agree and this one does a very nice job of making the 40s timeline in specific a very cold washed out palette so you're never really lost at where you are in time Hmm. does that make sense is that just because they hadn't invented color yet (laughs) (laughs) it might sound weird to say but sometimes when i think about the past i think of it in black and white i i the farther back i think i tend to think more sepia yeah that's fair maybe that's like a western western movie influence or something but or even not even the movies but like if you go to silver dollar city or something and get your old-timey photograph taken dressing up in cowboy gear um it's always on sepia tone too right like those really old-fashioned photos <laughs> yeah but overall i would say that i enjoyed the film but not my favorite so far and i expect the future captain americas to even be better than this one from what i've heard about them yeah no spoilers they are <laughs> Well, I'm very much looking forward to continuing Cap's story. He's a he's a fun character, and Chris Evans does a great job in the role. For sure, for sure. And it was this it's this uh, portrayal of Captain America that has finally stolen my favorite superhero away from Iron Man. Iron Man has been my favorite for the majority of my life. Uh, Originally, it was Spider Man when I was little, but then through my adolescence iron man was my favorite and it wasn't until this 
basically the second movie, uh, Captain America 2, and then I went back and watched this one. And yeah, Captain America is the best. I'm not very familiar with his comic book run. How closely does this film follow the origins in the comic book? Uh, you know, that's the comics have been running for 60 years or plus. I don't actually, I don't know the, the first year, but it's been running so long and there's been so many retellings and reboots and different versions, alternate universes, whatever you want to say. So it's hard to say. I think that this is a, it's definitely inspired by, but tells its own story. I think this is a great original telling of this story. Okay, very cool. Kind of similar to the other films that we've watched so far. It's almost an interpretation of... Exactly. Interpretation. Yeah, their origins. Mm -hmm. All right, well, before we talk any more about the film and get into our six stones, let's take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Mammoth Cooler. Mammoth Cooler makes professional-grade coolers, drinkware, and more. They are ready for anything from a day at the beach to an extended camping trip and everything in between. The Cruiser and Ranger Series coolers are roto-molded for extreme durability and longevity. It takes over one hour of manufacturing to form the thick inner and outer walls of each cooler box and lid. The cooler lid is constructed with a freeze-grade gasket made of thick rubber that seals against the rim of the cooler to prevent any airflow or loss of internal temperature. All of this helps maintain ice retention for up to seven days. The Ranger 65 is even certified bear-proof. All Mammoth coolers are backed by a lifetime warranty and shipped to the 48 continental United States. Visit mammothcooler.com, that's M-A-M-M-O-T-H-C-O-O-L-E-R.com to order, and use the offer code BEGONIAFM, all one word, at checkout to get 10% off your order. Make sure to use that code to let Mammoth know you came from us. We want to thank Mammoth for sponsoring this episode and all of Begonia FM. All right, welcome back. Six stones. First stone, super soldier serum. I'm going to ask you one quick question here, Lucas, and then I'll let you kind of take it from there. My only question is, was Emil Blonsky from The Incredible Hulk injected with Steve blood? Interesting thought. I don't think so. Um, So basically, I think that they were able to pull out the serum or at least enough of the serum from the Steve blood. Um, and, th- and then they were able to go from there. I-, I don't think that they just had vials of his blood sitting around on a shelf or in a freezer for 70 years. Okay. Surely that's not the case because actually, so blood only lasts like a month, um, even in a fridge. So, or maybe that, that might not even be accurate. I just know that the, um, when there's like a natural disaster uh, and people want to donate blood to like help out with the affected area, um, you can't just do it like immediately after the event because they'll run out and the stuff will go bad. So you have to do it like two weeks, three weeks after to kind of re-up the supply. This has been a public service announcement. Yeah, I feel like I'm learning about the film and about life. (laughs) Yeah, so we mentioned it in the Hulk movie um, as one of the stones there because it's so important. It is this. It, it's the 
central piece tying in all of these different storylines, the super soldier serum. You know, everybody wants to be better. Abraham Erskine created this formula uh, and was tragically killed and the formula died with him. Not exactly, as we'll see, but it was lost for many, many years and so many people tried to recreate because of the incredible success that was Steve Rogers, a.k.a. Captain America. It has been, people have been trying to recreate it since then uh, to varying levels of success, as we've seen with Hulk, Abomination, Emil Blonsky, and maybe others that more are tied into comic book stuff. Um, but there's a lot of, well, the Red Skull, the bad guy, is um, a child of this super soldier serum. Um, and a lot of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s work was surrounded surrounding that. So very, very important juice in the, the MCU. Yeah, it seems to be all over the MCU. Yep. Shout out to Stanley Tucci. He was awesome as Dr. Eskine. Yep, Erskine. Erskine. Yeah, he, he was great. He didn't have a lot of screen time, but he was effective when he was on the screen. I like that Steve just walks in. They all look at him, and then he just goes down to get the injection. No checking of vitals, no sterilization. Nah. Just walk in and go for it. Yeah, we don't take have off time for that. <laughs> I was shocked when Howard Stark was there, though. I know that they were at his expo, and he was displaying the flying car. Mm-hmm. I guess I didn't put two and two together quickly enough on my first viewing. Well, and I don't think that you you should have drawn that conclusion that um, the expo and the recruitment, because, I mean, this is wartime. They were recruiting people everywhere. So I think just having this big event, the Stark Expo, and having a recruitment thing happening at the same time, you, you wouldn't reasonably draw the conclusion that Stark is working with, you, you know, like there's there's no reason to believe that. So it's all good. A little fun, fun little tidbit on the uh, expo. Kind of a, the eagle-eyed comic book fan would notice the costume in a in a glass tube that was on display. But it was like a passing over shot, but it was the original Human Torch costume. Oh, that's so cool! Yeah, fun little Easter egg there. Now, can I ask you the actor Dominic Cooper who plays Howard Stark mm-hmm. in this film is different? than the Howard Stark that we've seen before. Right. Do either of those actors continue to play the role? Is it a role that is just given to a different actor each time? Or is this too much to tell me? I No, I think I can tell you. It, it's not a big spoiler to know that Howard Stark is in future movies. And I think the, the actor that plays him is dependent on the age of Howard Stark. So, you know, we see this young Howard Stark... Um, presumably well this is in the 40s so yep uh, definitely before tony's born howard stark does appear in the agent carter tv show and it is dominic cooper because it's in the same time period uh but then when we see future howard it's john slattery very cool i do not mind them sharing the role i think they both bring really cool things to it yeah yeah i'm excited to see more howard stark he's very fun I know you're not a big uh, TV show guy versus movies, but I highly recommend Agent Carter. I think it's only two seasons. Pretty good show, and I, I think we'll we'll, t- we'll touch more on that in a, in a future stone here, but yeah. That we will. Let's keep moving on down the road here. Second stone, the Red Skull. Lucas, what's the deal with the Red Skull? He's the first real big bad guy. Um, For Captain America? 
I I would say period that we've seen um, so far besides Loki. So that that this is like the distinction that I I'm kind of making the the best bad guys are the heroes of their story. You know they 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 have some redeeming quality. They have um, some ideal that they're trying to uphold, maybe in not the best way, which is what leads them to become the villain. And I think that's true for Loki too. He's obviously going through a lot uh, in his personal life, right? And and lashed out in various ways. Um, and the same with Whiplash from Whiplash and Hammer from uh, Iron Man Two. They felt slighted in some way by by the, our hero. And the Red Skull is not really like that. He's just kind of the quintessential evil guy. He's bent on world domination. He wants to be the ruler of the world and everyone it would be his subject and doesn't care how many people die in the process. Um, he, he like truly believes himself to be uh, a higher being than, than humans and has no regard for human life at all or even any life at all, I guess, if he ever encountered other non-humans. But yeah, he's also a brilliant scientist and I think that kind of gets lost in this movie. He's a real smart guy and then he injects himself with the early versions of the super soldier serum it goes wrong, obviously. Well, depends on who you ask. But as as Erskine says, it magnifies the qualities that are on the inside. Which, in a way, I kind of predicted with my superpower in our Incredible Hulk episode when I was like, I want Emil's first injection. Because mm-hmm. I was like, I feel like I wouldn't be a jerk with it. Mm-hmm. I felt felt vindicated. Yeah, good. I, I had to hold my tongue on that one, but... Because you're, you're getting right to the, you know, the focal point of this this movie is like Steve's good on the inside and that's why he's Captain America and uh, Johann Schmidt is not. Um, yeah, so I guess speaking of Johann Schmidt, we don't see a lot of Johann Schmidt before he's um, he's revealed to us to be the Red Skull. You know, big, big reveal. I mean, talk about the, the blending practical effects and computer effects that the Red Skull makeup is. It's next level. Very impressive. I was actually impressed at how long they went without him being Red Skull. And they I feel like they made him less cartoonish at the beginning. So you did somewhat understand mm-hmm. his drive, you know, for yeah, being a god, is like you said. Yeah, you know, the very first scene in Norway, it reminded me of the, the first scene in Inglorious Bastards with Christoph Waltz, where he knows where we'll just call it the item that he seeks is and he's almost playing around with the person protecting it just definitely to show how evil they are and for really no other purpose than that right how powerful and evil and uh something i didn't notice until uh one of my recent watches is in that scene when he first walks into the church there's a team of soldiers trying to push the stone lid off of that casket i did notice that Nice. Yeah. And so he just walks up and just woof, shoves it off when upon first watching it, it just didn't occur to me, but that really shows how much stronger he is than a normal human. But then he picks up the, the glass cube and just shatters it. It's like he, he knows this isn't the real deal. He knows what he's after. And for a lesser man that might've fooled somebody. You're totally right. And since we're not having a stone specifically for the cast, I'm just going to say shout out to Hugo weaving at this part, because Although his accent comes and goes, the way he carries himself does not. And I'm in on Hugo weaving as a villain in anything. So no complaints from me. Yeah, 
I'll, I'll have to pay more attention to his accent. It's it's one of those things that I I don't notice until somebody points it out. Similar to like Littlefinger in uh, in Game of Thrones, his accent changing from season to season. But I, I'm just lost in the movie. That just shows you how good Hugo Weaving is. He is very imposing on screen. When you think of Hugo Weaving past roles, do you go to Lord of the Rings or Matrix first? Matrix first. Same. Yeah, definitely that. Then uh, also V for Vendetta rings highly just because it's all voice. It's so distinct. Can't argue that. Our next stone is the organizations. So we got SSR, S.H.I.E.L.D., and HYDRA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the SSR, Strategic Scientific Reserve, um, was, well, I guess th- this is the point where I want to talk about like World War II in real life versus um, in the MCU. Um, so I, I dug into it a bit, and it, what, from what I can gather, the World War II history that we know of uh, in real life basically all plays out the same way in the MCU. Um, what we focus on here is Captain America's involvement. You know, it's a it's a very good blend of historical fiction with real history. Um, you can imagine the war without Steve; it would still have gone the way that we knew, or we know now. But also Manhattan Project, all all of the things that are famous for World War II currently are still true. Tony mentions that his father worked on the Manhattan Project, and I'm thinking when that first came out, or I'm thinking. If he worked on the Manhattan Project, how was he also working on the Super Soldier Project, you know? That's a lot of words to say. I, I wanted to mention that because SSR was created by a presidential order in the same kind of way that the Manhattan Project was started. Basically, there's a credible threat of the enemy having some technology. We need to get up to date on this technology. Uh, two physicists of the time wrote a letter to the president saying the atomic bomb is possible. Germany's working on it. You need to get going. Um, and it was that letter that the president decided to create the Manhattan Project. So it's a similar thing for Project Rebirth in the MCU that they know that uh, Johann Schmidt, a.k.a. the Red Skull, is working on this like next-level tech, and the U.S. needs a response. So Project Rebirth and the SSR was created. The SSR does eventually become S.H.I.E.L.D. Basically, after the end of this movie, Steve's quote-unquote death, the SSR is essentially disbanded, but Stark, Carter, and Chester, the general, form S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, to basically do the same work that SSR was doing, um, but just on a different government organization. So from what I understand, it was the exact same war, but in the comics, they also have SSR, S.H.I.E.L.D., and HYDRA. And those are basically responses to each other. So they're basically in place for real life things that are happening but this way they don't have to portray real people hydra is basically the nazis the ssr is basically an arm of our military yeah and it also allows them to uh do things like they can also portray the real quote-unquote nazis and and also talk about the real american side of it um if they need to like obviously hitler was a, a real person and they portray he is portrayed in the comics and in this he's mentioned in the MCU so they can draw on that for some like historical accuracy and, and make the fake stuff you know the made up stuff that they're talking about seem more real by tying it to a part of reality understood so who is hydra so hydra started as a ssr for the nazis it's pretty well known that that hitler was kind of fascinated with the occult and mythology and stuff. And so 
taking that and Hitler basically learns about Johann Schmidt and he's a brilliant scientist and he's working on the basically he's working on the super soldier thing. He wants to make himself better because Johann Schmidt Red Skull has his own, you know, personal motivations to become better, but Hitler sees this and he's like, "Yes, it really lines up with Hitler's ideology." So he recruits Johann Schmidt, gives him money, gives him a division to form Hydra. Johann Schmidt basically takes that and grows Hydra underneath the Nazis and and as we see in this movie wants to just take control, take power for himself. Um, he doesn't he's not loyal to Hitler. He's Johann Schmidt and the Hydra are not Nazis exactly. They share a lot of uh, negative qualities maybe, but they're not technically the same group. And so the Hydra Hydra uprising against the Nazis and well just against everybody. Yeah, that that's the the end game of this movie of, of where Johann Schmidt Red Skull is trying to take over the world as Hydra, not as Nazis. Okay, understood. Now that we know who all the players are, let's talk about our main character and our fourth stone. Let's talk about Steve. The man, the myth, the legend. The movie starts with skinny Steve. Very impressive visual effects to achieve that. I think that they have aged well. Uh, we get a lot of homages to what we'll see later on with Steve using a trash can lid or a car door as a shield. And we we get to know like what's on the inside with Steve that despite not being big in stature, he won't quit yep. even when he knows the odds are against him, which is eventually going to make him a great candidate for the super soldier program. We also meet his friend Barnes. Bucky. James, James Barnes. Buchanan Barnes. Bucky. And he and Steve have this really close relationship that, again, lets us kind of know that Steve's a loyal person and that people are loyal back to him. Their relationship is really fun to watch there early on. Mm -hmm. And even after, when, when uh, Steve becomes Captain America and he, well, he ends up rescuing Bucky in the, I don't know, what the, what the Hydra facility where they're seemingly torturing maybe experimenting on people building weapons using the using the captured soldiers as slave labor essentially i assumed the same thing was happening to bucky that was happening to han solo an empire on cloud city <laughs> yeah basically if you were bucky though and you woke up and you saw steve there you would think that you're hallucinating for sure for sure but at the same time it's like steve's character comes through you know he he recognizes that it's his friend whether well, it doesn't look like him physically but he recognizes that that person standing there is the friend that he knew all along i suppose i i would assume that they injected me with some sort of drug and i was having a hallucination a hallucination i wouldn't just be like oh steve got really tall and strong and is saving me from pretty much guaranteed death yeah it almost would seem like your mind coping with the situation going to like a childhood friend coming to save you out of nowhere true yeah that, i didn't think about that but steve gets jacked with the help from stanley tucci and howard stark and he becomes a propaganda machine he's in films comic books yep okay that comic book that the kids are reading yep i can only assume that that is a real marvel comic book yep okay i caught that easter egg i did not catch the the suit at the yeah. stark expo but i caught i caught the comic book flash right in front of the screen mm -hmm. 
But I like that he actually gets like better at the performing part of it. Yep. Day in and day out. Yeah, he gets used to being a leader and knows how to carry himself in front of a large group of people. Yep. Which he might, you know, he might not have done well initially on the military side of things had he not done the propaganda performances. I think that's exactly right. I think I think his tour on the propaganda train were instrumental to him becoming, you know, he was a good person on the inside. He he always would do what's right and now he became strong and and capable. But he never had any experience uh, with it with dealing with people, you know. No, you're totally right. And that song is a banger, "The Star Spangled Man." Yeah, with a plan. It's awesome, and and <laughs> I just love the super cartoony or sorry, like caricature of Hitler that c- creeps up behind him and he turns around and punches him. The symbols clash. It's so funny, right? And later on, when he's breaking out the guys, he's like, "Oh yeah, don't worry, I'll have." punched adolf hitler 200 times <laughs> yeah and they're like what what are you talking about <laughs> they they've never yeah, seen again if show. somebody said that to me i'd be like oh we're fucked yeah this dude he's this in, guy doesn't know what he's doing <laughs> he's, he's wearing a red white and blue costume he's got a shield <laughs> he's like i'm captain america <laughs> yeah it's he's, he's saving him so i guess not a lot to argue until otherwise so yeah so speaking of that his first real mission um it's kind of sad that he has to go essentially AWOL, like he's breaking the rules to do this, but he hears that his friend is trapped behind enemy lines or potentially dead. We don't, he doesn't know it at all, but this is his do or die moment um, with the help of Agent Carter and Stark that he has to ride. At, well, he was planning on driving a Jeep across the border, like, I don't know what, 30, 40 miles and just hoping he doesn't get shot or noticed. He didn't have a good plan to begin with, let's say. Uh, and he was really saved by Stark being able to fly into enemy airspace and drop him off with a parachute. And he does like a real solo mission. It's pretty impressive, actually, without any kind of official training yet. He sneaks into a truck, he breaks people out of jail, and then he goes like searching through the facility. Then he, that's when we see he catches up with Bucky. He did train when he was a part of the program. You're right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But that was Skinny Steve days. Skinny Steve did a lot of training. He did. So you got to imagine Buff Steve is just that much better True. at whatever Skinny Steve trained at. Yeah, I mean, Skinny Steve, he had it all. He, you know, he had everything but the physical. Um, you know, he, he couldn't keep up with, on the run, but they said, hey, if you can get this flag down, you don't have to run anymore. He's like, oh, I'll get that flag down. These knuckleheads are just fighting each other trying to climb the pole. Let me just bring the pole down here. Classic. Yeah, I loved it. Although the thing I didn't like about that uh, one moment is that like the drill sergeant or whatever who's commanding them, he's he's already said, all right, that's it, move on. And like Steve kind of broke the time limit part of that challenge. But still, uh, his ingenuity uh, outweighs that, I think. Yeah, he didn't really have a chance initially either, so... That's true, but that's kind of like the whole the physicality part. Like he didn't, he wouldn't have been able to get in that scrum and climb the pole at all. Right. Good point. But again, that's his brains choosing your battles. You know, you know, he knew he, that wouldn't have been a, a successful adventure for him. So you're totally right. When they when they come back from that mission mm-hmm. and they've saved everybody, there's that quick scene with Colonel Phillips and Peggy, uh, Agent Carter. They are basically saying that Steve and all of them have died. And she's like, the last surveillance flights show no sign of activity. They have a tank. 
how bad is their flight surveillance? Pretty bad. This is like a hundred men, a tank, a car rolling back towards their base. And they're like, we didn't see anything. You're seeing a tank. There's no, you're not hiding a tank. Yeah. I can see, well, I think you're overestimating the, uh, the aerial surveillance of the 1940s ability. I think I am. So planes were not super advanced at the time, right? We're still dealing with propeller planes. And there's still strong anti-aircraft, ground-based anti-aircraft artillery in the area. So any surveillance planes have to fly very high and take pictures with a film camera pointed down and then fly back to the base, get them developed, and you hope you got a good shot. You know what I mean? It's not like satellite imagery, you know? You're right. I didn't really consider that they weren't getting great visual confirmation but and the time delay you never know how long how long it takes to get those pictures from the from the planes this is true it to me it just seems like their camp might be vulnerable if that's their (laughs) surveillance level that's true the last thing that we're going to talk about here with steve is the america montage Mm -hmm. very fun cap gets a new suit a new shield he explodes the world's biggest tank yeah and we uh, we lost Bucky. Yeah. So I'll take the take the montage first. the The montage shows Steve winning all the battles against Hydra and Nazi Germany. Um, so this is really where Steve's Captain America's big impact on the war effort is shown. He's winning all the battles, beating the Germans back, and this is essentially what leads to the uh, Allied victory in World War II. So Germany loses all these battles, and then this is the what the end of this movie is what we see for Hydra's last ditch effort at world domination. Um, so even though Steve or Captain Rogers goes down with the plane, the Allies are still able to win the war due to his valiant efforts beforehand. Now in this mission with Bucky, very very pivotal scene in the movie and in the MCU, as we'll come to find. Like Arnim Zola, he's a He's a big name uh, in in the MCU, and kidnapping him from this train was a was a huge mission, and then had the unfortunate side effect of losing Bucky, which definitely had an effect on Steve. In the comics, w- when a comic run lasts so many years, we see Bucky come and go. You know, like Bucky will sometimes die, Cap will sometimes die, and then they'll br- bring him back, and all these different timeline things and and various methods. But it it always has a has an effect on Steve that you know he just lost his best friend his only friend really um, he he was constantly bullied as a child and and Bucky was the only one who was there for him so it was a very important train ride for Steve uh, unfortunately I have not given up hope on Bucky yeah without giving any spoilers it's a very classic you, you didn't actually see him die kind of kind of move um, he could be dead or he could be climbing down the mountain or something i don't know he's got a lot of heart he does have a lot of heart i I liked him i liked the the actor as well so i'm hoping that whether like on the agent carter show or something i i would like to see more bucky yeah like you said he depends on different runs and stuff like that but i wanted more of the the best friends america montage yeah speaking of agent carter our fifth stone agent carter she gets her own stone. She deserves it. All all on her own. Now, 
I'm not watching the television shows here for perlustration. Is is it any too much of a spoiler to fill me in on what happens on the TV show or give me a general synopsis of what happened? No, I don't think it's a spoiler. I don't want to say it's inconsequential to the MCU at large, but like it is just kind of a, a spin-off side story. But you did say earlier we get Dominic Cooper back as Howard Stark. Is it still Haley Atwell portraying Agent Carter on the show? Yes, for sure. Okay, very cool. Yeah. Is Tommy Lee Jones on the show? It's a good question. I, I don't recall seeing him, but the, the show Agent Carter does take place a couple years after the events of Captain America. Um, where we're still, so it's actually pre-SHIELD at this point. Um, it's still the Strategic Scientific Reserve, SSR, that Peggy is working for. So it's kind of this post-war, everybody's got to return to quote-unquote normal life, and Agent Carter, Pe- Peggy Carter, is having to deal with being a woman in the 40s trying to work in a like an office, essentially. You know, she's not... She doesn't strike me as the uh, office drone type of worker, so it's kind of a, a shock to her system um, on top of dealing with all the sexism. And the basic gist of the first season is Howard Stark is being framed of supplying weapons to the enemy, and Carter is trying to clear his name and find out who is actually selling weapons to the enemy. And this the, the big thing about the show is that she is assisted by Stark's butler, um, I'm, I'm wondering if you know his name, Edwin Jarvis. Does that name ring a bell to you at all? It does. Jarvis is the name of the computer in Iron Man. Yes. And so we get the person who the computer is named after, um, the butler. He's awesome. He's a great secondary character. Not secondary character. He's a great uh, supporting character, supporting role there. It's a really fun show. You know, each episode is kind of a mission on its own, but then the whole season solves the mystery of who is um who is supplying the weapons and who is trying to frame howard stark uh the second season is a goes a bit farther away um dealing with some more supernatural phenomenon some company is experimenting with some stuff and things go wrong and somebody's infected and there's now a big bad guy it's it's pretty good Sounds good. Some company, some stuff, big bad guy. <laughs> some company. I'm in. I, I, I don't want to, like, the company name uh, is... No, 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 it's fine. I did like the introduction of Agent Carter in the movie where she just comes in and socks the guy in the face for talking trash to her. Yeah, that was a great, great moment. She's pretty high on my favorite characters in the MCU list that I might start revealing here. We'll see. So for me, she's not a main character, so I don't. She doesn't rank that highly on my list because I put them all together. But she, if I had a secondary character list, she'd be one or two at this point. I think Jarvis would be one. She'd be two. I haven't. I hadn't even considered Jarvis because you haven't seen the show. You know, he's not a real person in your in your knowledge of the universe at the at this moment. This is true. Speaking of my lack of knowledge for the MCU, our Six Stone Fury's big week. This is it. This is what we've been building towards. I teased it in a previous pod when we didn't have all the pieces together, but this is the kind of the answer to the question, when does Iron Man happen in relation to Thor and Hulk and Captain America? How do these movies fit together? Because as I mentioned previously, everything leads up to the Avengers so far. And then after the Avengers, it's it's all different. You know, everything is 
pretty well chronological. You can see which movies impact each other and things that happen in the universe are noticed in other movies. Up until this point, everything is sort of independent of each other. So Fury's big week. We have the Iron Man announcement, then the six month gap. And in that six months is when Bruce Banner makes his way down to Brazil and is, is doing that part of his story. Day one of Fury's big week is basically uh, Tony Stark's birthday party. Tony makes a fool of himself. War Machine takes over. Day two, Thor is being coronated in Asgard. You know, at, at this time in in the universe is the very first, well, the the, uh, the coronation ceremony in Thor. Then, obviously, the night is when um, Thor and his buddies go to As or go to Jotunheim. Thor is cast out. The hammer lands on Earth, and we discover it. Day three is when Tony creates the new element. It's crazy the short turnaround time here. Day four is when Banner visits his old lab and Coulson discovers Mjolnir. Day five is uh, <laughs> Banner hulks out at the university, the outdoor scene at that um, in the Hulk movie, the outdoor fight scene, I should say. And that same day happening in New Mexico is when Thor battles the destroyer armor. It's just, it's an incredible three or four day run here. So after Thor defeats the destroyer armor, Hulk is calmed down essentially. Basically, the round out the week with Fury keeping tabs on all his future Avengers, which is, we know now is a real thing. So then, basically, between uh, the end of his big week and the end of this movie where Captain America wakes up is about, let's say, a year, more or less. So we've got Iron Man 1 six month gap hulk iron man 2 thor all within all happen within a week and then another year gap when cap wakes up so all the pieces here are in place for the avengers movie that they are so another big piece of this puzzle that we have not even mentioned (laughs) throughout this whole movie the tesseract it's it's a big deal i can't believe we've gone this far without mentioning but it really we wanted to talk more about the characters and everything in Captain America, but the Tesseract here really ties in with the universe at large. You know, it's now it's the first item that connects the world as we know it with the supernatural or the mythological Asgard, you know, things that are beyond this world. Schmidt had been chasing it, finding or you know, hunting for it for who knows how long, eventually found it in Norway. Um, he mentions that it was once the jewel of Odin's treasure room, which we see in the first Thor movie. We don't see the Tesseract there because obviously it's on Earth at the time that we see it. <laughs> but basically, this is an artifact that exists in the universe, um, you know, capital U universe, where Odin once held this thing in his hand and now it's on Earth and Schmidt picks it up and is holding this crazy powerful object. We don't really get into what it actually does that much in this movie. It's, you know, it's a power source. It's a battery. It's kind of like it's analogous to Tony's arc reactor, this miniaturized power source that enables some crazy new technology, weapons or whatever, um, because you're able to power it without, you know, a huge power plant or something that has to be stationary. What What are your thoughts on the Tesseract? You, you got this is your first dose of it. I'm very familiar with it from this point. So I'm curious, what do you think about it? That's a good MacGuffin. It works. From what I can tell, it will probably be able to do whatever the writers need it to do. It's infinitely powerful and can be put in your pocket. It's a perfect MacGuffin. I'm trying. I'm trying to think of 
uh, what else do I want to say about the Tesseract that's not uh, a spoiler? So I, I think I told you uh, before we were recording that last time I watched this, the Captain America, I immediately started the Avengers after this because I just they, they just lead right into or Captain America leads right into Avengers and I couldn't resist. Almost too much. Yeah, I. Um, yeah, we'll get to it with the post credit scene. Yeah, the post credit scene. Yeah. Yeah, before we get to our categories, let's hear from our sponsors one more time. This episode is brought to you by Mammoth Cooler. Mammoth Cooler makes professional-grade coolers, drinkware, and more. They're ready for anything from a day at the beach to an extended camping trip and everything in between. Their soft cooler line includes the Highland 30 Flip Lid. It's made from high-density nylon with thick TPU, that's thermoplastic polyurethane, laminated inner and outer with an EVA molded top and bottom. It also includes a waterproof zipper and an antimicrobial liner that resists mold and mildew. Its 30-quart capacity holds up to 24 cans plus ice. All Mammoth coolers are backed by a lifetime warranty and will ship to the 48 continental United States. Visit www.mammothcooler.com. That's M-A-M-M-O-T-H-C-O-O-L-E-R.com to order. Use the promo code BEGONIAFM, all one word, at checkout to get 10% off on your order. We want to thank Mammoth for sponsoring this episode and all of Begonia FM. All right, welcome back. Lucas, pick a power. There's a theme here with my powers recently, but I got to go with Howard Stark. He's got the brain, he's got the money. It's a good power. Can't argue it. I'm going with uh, Fred Clemson's Zippos. <laughs> he has like the bomb detonator one. He has one that like summons his submarine. And I assume like that it can do the lighter thing too. Like if you needed just like a Zippo. Sure, sure. If, if someone says, what's that thing in your pocket? You got to be able to go flip it open and produce a flame. And they're like, oh, it's just a lighter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'd like one of those like where I flipped it open. And it's just like, here's a fresh cup of coffee. <laughs> uh who's your hero who who is the hero the hero is erskine abraham erskine he dedicated and gave his life to this the single pursuit of of creating the super soldier and without well first of all without him we don't have any more captain americas obviously or you know because people have been trying for decades unsuccessfully but he knew that it wasn't all about strength and size and speed it was about what was on the inside and that's why he was so instrumental in the decision process. Without him, we get Gilmore Hodge as the Captain America. And as uh, Erskine described, he's a bully. You know, we would not have the same Captain America if it was if that serum was injected into Gilmore Hodge. Yeah, totally. I have here in my notes, almost went with Erskine, but he made the Red Skull. So I'm, I'm picking Agent Carter. Solid choice. She basically is the one that gets Steve into the actual war where he can make the most impact. She's also the one that gets Erskine out of Nazi Germany and into America. She's doing a lot of things. She's she's all over the place. Hooking up Howard Stark's plane with Captain America. Mm-hmm. Big fan. Testing out the vibranium shield. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it works. <laughs> uh, what do you... Uh, where's this rank for you with your MCU films? All right. As always, I've got the preseason ranking and the as we go. Uh, preseason, I ranked this one number four overall, which very high. I mean, last week was my number one, Thor. That's kind of more of a personal favorite, and that's why it ranks so high. But Captain America, just the rewatchability. Because it's a period piece, you know, like I think I can watch it at any time. 
it stands out on his own. Uh, the rank as we go is number two. You know, it's I think Thor is going to stay at the top just because I love it so much. And then this is right there behind it. You never know, though. Maybe through conversation, something could top Thor. It's true. And and I think I, I've got an idea of some upcoming movies that might might topple it just because I haven't seen them in a while. And I'm going to like remember how much I liked them. That kind of thing. Okay. Well, I'm giving this film two and a half out of five shields. <laughs> that's uh, let's see, it's a trash can, a, sh- a shield-shaped one, and a circular one. Got a car door, uh, and that car door had a star on it. Ah, uh, excellent. Okay, one minute on the clock. What did we miss? Ready, go. I think we missed a lot of Erskine's impact. Um, they they do it in sort of a montage in the night before the surgery when or night before the operation when uh, uh, Erskine brings the liquor to Steve he talks about his Erskine's history you know he was not a bad guy he was never a Nazi but he was essentially forced into working for the Nazis and what we see when he's describing the transformation of Schmidt into the Red Skull uh, they fought over it not only did Erskine not believe the serum was ready he did not believe that Schmidt was the right person to administer the serum to. He was then imprisoned, and Schmidt took it on himself and injected himself. And it was he was there in prison when Peggy Carter, as a double agent, infiltrated the Nazis and rescued him. So I, I think the Erskine impact is really over is really missed in this movie. Well, all right, rest in peace, Erskine. R.I.P. We love you. Thanks everybody for listening. If you have any questions or feedback, send an email to hello at begonia.fm or reach out to us on Twitter and Instagram at perlustrationfm. For our next episode, we will be watching The Avengers, directed by Joss Whedon. A big thanks to Mammoth Coolers for sponsoring this episode. Lucas, take us out. Do you uh, fondue? All right, post-credit scene. I'm going to talk here first. Hit it. I was upset. It totally spoils Loki is back. He's back! Yep. Yeah, pretty frustrating. It's basically a trailer for the Avengers. Uh, Hopefully, in the future, they don't do this again. I rest my case, Your Honor. I'm of two minds on this. First is I definitely agree. Like It was straight up a trailer for the Avengers. Not even kind of a trailer. It was just a trailer that aired separately um then my other mind is like these stories have been around for a long time you know we know these characters and i don't know it's not a spoiler to learn that hawkeye and black widow are in the the avengers you know but for someone who's never seen them it is a spoiler but i don't know i was upset at seeing loki 
I would not have minded seeing any of the heroes or even like all of the heroes together. At this point, I'm very familiar with that aerial shot of them all, you know, standing outwards in a circle. Yep. I don't know if that's in the Avengers, the Avengers, but I know it's coming. Right. Something like that shot, totally get it. But if you're going to have Loki questionably die or go somewhere else and he's going to come back, I want to be surprised at when watching the film but were you surprised to see him now in the trailer yeah in the post credit scene genuinely i was a little bit confused okay i can definitely see your point and it, it would have a different impact to just see loki show up in the first in the opening scene of the avengers or what i don't actually know what the scene he shows up in but like seeing him for the first time in the avengers seeing him again for the first time in the avengers but part of me is like I, I kind of treat the whole cinematic experience to traverse all the movies and post credit scenes. And so like it's all one continuous thing. It's like uh, episodes of a TV show kind of obviously on a very large scale. And so I think revealing him now is is more like the and next week we're, you know, join us to see whatever. No, and you're totally right. And I am the person who cannot stand those and I will intentionally cut it off before it does that with a television show mm. so i don't know i i like i like and dislike it if you're if you're binging something you're know, watching things back to back in the way that we normally do these days i could see that being much more of a negative but in the in the time in the before time when tv shows came out once a week or something and you you had to like you being the, the people making the show had to kind of entice people to tune in again like give you something to think about in the next week and wonder what's going to happen and they're like why did that happen you know that kind of thing i I think it works in a way yeah i think it's just not for me Mm. i know that a lot of people really enjoyed that with game of thrones it really bothered me when i would listen or read recaps that would involve the next time because i don't know i feel like that contains spoilers you know if you see a character in the next episode that might have died in the one you just watched then all of that suspense for the whole week is just gone but you don't know that you know you don't know in what context you've seen that person is it a it could be a flashback you know what i mean this is true not in the case that we in the scene that we see loki in but you are right i'm i'm making it black and white where there's a lot of gray area and i think a lot of it comes down to personal preference and how you like to ingest stories Mm -hmm. so maybe i shouldn't be so hard on it it's just the past couple had been very fun especially the one with Iron Man 2, I believe, was the one that alluded to the hammer in New Mexico. Yeah, sir, we found it. That's chef's kiss. That's enough for me. I know that Thor is coming. I know that S.H.I.E.L.D. is aware that there's something. And that's all I need to know to get excited about it. So a full-on trailer, I'm not here for it. If I had to rank post credit scenes, this would probably be the lowest for all the reasons that you've mentioned um, because it's not a post credit scene it's like just it, literally just a trailer for for avengers i think from here on out the post credit scenes get better let's say um yeah okay awesome all right lucas uh, list your favorite post credit scenes in order go 